0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Blind. I am Chris Adams. Um, yeah, we got another one for you guys today. It's been a, uh, a great week. I've had just really, really good numbers put up. Um, you know, it's not just all about the numbers, but it's the numbers are they're exciting because it's always fun to see how it grows. It's every week, it's it's bigger than last week. So. Thank you guys so much for all the shares, subscriptions, um, tuning in. And uh, I just, I get messages all the time saying thank you for what you're doing. Uh, they really enjoy it. Guys are listening to it all over the place. <laughs> New call makers, old call makers. It's just really enjoyable to get that kind of feedback. It makes it uh, seem like I'm not just out here talking to myself. Um, yeah. Anyway, we have the, uh, the crazy green and black gray swirled btbn colored call that uh i post up i posted up on the uh the closed btbn group if you haven't joined that it's just btbn podcast and i posted that up and i uh, i asked you guys how do you think we should give this thing away i'm uh just trying to come up with ideas i don't want you guys to just keep doing the same thing as we did last time because that gets boring um but yeah jump on there give me some of your ideas and uh i'll think about it a little bit but uh i want to give that thing away here in the next uh, couple weeks so we'll do that uh today i got another good one for you guys uh you know hunter uh hunter grounds got us talking about competition calling and we've done a little bit of that throughout the podcast uh we did some streaming with it a couple years ago pretty heavy and a lot of guys enjoyed it and i just think it's interesting you know uh Um, This guy, he blew uh, a bunch of calls at Real Foot and actually helped with the Call Makers competition by blowing calls. He's another competition caller that blows calls all over the United States. He's a a big spec guy. He's been uh, helping arrange a lot of the uh, online contests. So uh, I'm pretty excited to get him on. Without further ado, Mr. Hayden Richard. All right, man. How you doing today, brother? I'm good, man. I'm good.
1: Just uh, sat down and kind of couldn't sit in my little call room for a second. and
0: Take a break. <laughs> <laughs> try to uh, try to uh, take a, a breather after putting kiddos to bed and doing yeah, all that type yeah. of stuff, man.
1: Yeah, today was just another day. Uh, it's actually it ain't been that tough. I can't even lie. Uh, Recently, I kind of—it's been—I've uh, been having some freedom, so uh, oilfield kind of crashed. Uh, you know, what I mean, got laid off from a job. So, I kind of just been really in the last ten years. I've always worked in the oil field. so it's kind of different. And uh, I might say it's terrible. But I'm not saying that it's, you know, it's just different, right?
0: Yeah, yeah it's it's definitely, it's, it's not business as usual. That's for damn sure, brother.
1: Absolutely not, man. And all this stuff going on, which look, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it. And I think it's been, what, almost gone on three months. Of, well, I kind of had, I was home for a little while. I, basically, I was going to do rotational work out of Alaska, so All this stuff happened. They kind of just had me sitting at home for a while. And then the layoff happened. So it's been, it's going on two months. So it's
0: getting a little (laughs) lengthy. Yeah, dude. I was in your neck of the woods. Uh, I was on Bourbon Street the last day they shut, before they shut it down. I left Sunday morning. And then like three or four hours later, my buddy sent me a picture. And he's like, dude, they closed down all of French Quarter. And I was like, no, they didn't. I was just there. He's like, no, this is now. You know, so yeah i got out right in time <laughs> and i was almost 100 percent convinced at that point i had corona so
1: oh god because it blew up man it blew up in new orleans yeah. but it's crazy dude they shut down all louisiana it was actually uh we were one of the states to really get put on hold and uh me and my wife and my family actually took it very serious and we stayed home uh yeah, now recently i mean i Well, yeah, and I got my—I live kind of next door to my in-laws, and you know, so they're—they're up in the age area, you know, they're—they're in the age that was affected, like the bad part. So we did take it serious. The only thing I did literally was fish.
0: (laughs) That's crazy, man. Have you talked to Tyler Hall at all? I don't know if you know him.
1: I, I have not, dude. I haven't talked to Tyler since probably duck season, man. I really haven't talked to, and I hate to say this, but. When, when, uh, when all this stuff happened and the uh, layoff kind of happened, I really kind of just kind of
0: took little... back
1: and, and, yeah, took a hiatus, man. Yeah, I got a little
0: I, introvert. <laughs> I, yeah,
1: I did, and I'm not that person at all, and uh, I kind of did. Uh, I still talk to a few people that are really close to me, and uh, I still talk to Bill, me and Bill Daniels talk, I mean, every day, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of funny because I think a lot of people were like, man, you all right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm kind of enjoying it. I literally fish. like I, I was fishing two, three days a week, and then I, the recently my boat went boat went shop for low maintenance and get some stuff picked, uh, little nitpick stuff get fixed. So kind of had a little break, Fish with a body of mine, really haven't been fishing as much as I was. So really I've been at home for the past
0: Two or three weeks doing not much. I mean, take care of stuff around the house, but it's been slow, man. <laughs> it's wild. The reason I asked about Tyler, he's the first person I've actually known that had it. Oh, he had it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He caught it, and he uh, his his girlfriend or his wife. Or no, he said his his soon fiance. I think is what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They uh, they know. both ended up catching it.
1: Doesn't she work in the medical field or
0: Yeah, no? yeah, she was, I want to say, a, uh, either a, a RN that's or something, or that's, a, somewhere in that's, the medical field.
1: That's nuts, dude. I didn't even know that, man. Uh, oh, man, I wish, I hope, he, hope it worked out for him. I mean, I'm pretty sure it did. It didn't yeah,
0: he, yeah. Here <laughs> he said he felt like a little run down but there wasn't anything crazy i'll have to go back and listen to that part of his episode but uh i was like oh yeah, crap, dude. I'm, gonna have, I'm gonna
1: have to go listen to it man That's crazy i'll call him after this i guess i'll probably call him <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> uh yeah i i kind of get every year though man after hunting season kind of ends, uh i really do kind of because you have to understand, calling calling comp, comps besides Winnie, which had, which thankfully we had Winnie right before all this happened, I made some money there. Uh, but most of these calling comps start July. So then you got July, August, and we're basically traveling almost every weekend. And then my teal season starts second weekend of September, which we take that very serious here. That's you can make some money in the guiding business, teal hunting, and our teal season is really good here. So, I start preparing for teal season first week of September, which so it's literally it's like July, August, September, October. We still have contests within these contests. I'm getting ready for spec season, and spec season starts in November. It runs all the way to February. So, not gonna lie, after February, we have Winnie Comp and end of February, yeah, and more early March i said i don't really want to look at that car, talk to anybody about calling
0: that much <laughs> dude i don't blame you it uh it's kind of like you know i was live streaming a lot of competitions and uh yep. i uh dude every single weekend i was traveling at least three or four hours which you know is not bad since i'm at least here in missouri but uh yeah. I was traveling every single time and by the end of the weekend i was like if i don't hear another damn goose routine or duck routine it'll be too soon you know <laughs> it, you just it gets it taxes yeah. on you by the end of the weekend man
1: and the only thing that keeps most of us that do it is we're all competitive and Honestly, when you start hitting them every weekend, you you really do get on a run. Like, and I hate to say that some people get on bad runs. And thankfully, the last three years, I really haven't had a, a bad run at it. I kind of I've kind of always picked up steam as I go. So in the back of my mind, I know I need to keep hitting them. I need to hit them every weekend because, you know, I'm not only not only just winning, but you're placing. You're cutting checks, and I know most people. Uh, around here a lot of people are asking me about the duck calling stuff cuz people around here don't understand that. But if you ever realize Louisiana don't produce a lot of really good contest callers. We produce some, but there're a lot of these guys just, like our contests are not that big and we don't we can't even support a big more than one contest or a bunch of contests like they do up north cuz we just don't have the guys here that want to do it. It's it's Louisiana is a really old school duck hunting place. Like we've been having duck hunting forever in Louisiana. It's always what what it was fifteen years ago. Louisiana was the, where you came to come duck hunting.
0: <laughs> well, you're you're in the. Uh, I know all the Stuttgart guys probably freak out, but you're in the rice capital, you know, of, of the world, isn't that? We well, well, used to be. Yeah. Well, yeah. We used to
1: be. We well, used to be. Now now we got sugar cane. So, <laughs> uh, and that's probably. To me, that's where our duck population started. Our, our duck numbers have fell off is because every year we're losing we're losing rice fields where they counted. So we used to have a lot of rice fields along the coast. So just like just like Arkansas timber, you can't just go flood timber in the middle of nowhere and it's going to get ducks. You got to have it close to some kind of food source, rice fields, right? Right. Same thing. With, same thing with the marsh. Our marshes support a lot of ducks, so when you have a good food source right next door, like a rice field that's only three, four miles, or in some cases, 700 yards, that, that then rice fields tend to be some of the best, because what they do is they'll eat their rice at night, and on your bad days, they'll eat there, and come morning, they'll get up, and they'll, they'll get in these big, vast, expansive marshes, where they can get away from some of that pressure, and they just go roost out there. So... Yeah, that's that's, that's when I, I tell people we're losing rice production. Like, oh, no. And some people say, no, we're not. But rice is moving into higher ground, and our low ground is losing our rice population when that's where it counts. Because some of these birds, I think, come down here, and they get to the marsh, and when they leave that marsh and go look for this rice, and the rice is it's 20 miles away instead of a mile or 15 miles away, you know, I think the birds just kind of realize there's no food because that's all they ever known, and they pick back up and they go back north. I, I think. I mean,
0: that's all my opinion, but no, it makes <laughs> sense. I was talking to uh, Kent Easton the other day, and I was talking to Tyler about it, and he was telling. They were both telling me about this uh invasive aquatic vegetation you guys have going on, and I, I was oh, telling Kent, yeah, I was like, uh well, if you don't have food because you lost a lot of the rice and you don't have any water anymore, you know, Louisiana is covered in water. Don't get it wrong. But the if it's getting covered up by all this invasive freaking... Well, Savinia, is that what you called it?
1: Savinia.
0: Okay. Yeah, if it's getting covered up with that... If you don't have water and you don't have food, well, you know, it's <laughs> like, how the heck is it going to hold ducks anymore? Yeah, that's true.
1: And our, our the pressure down here is just unreal, man. We have so many people that want to hunt. And the reason why, like, the towns like Gaydon are so popular and so expensive to these blinds at... It's because we have the oil field, which oil money is good money. Everybody knows that oil money is good money. You got a lot of people working work in the oil field that make really good money in Lafayette area. Gators 50 minutes away. Hop, skipping a step. They want to be close to home. You understand? Like, So same thing with Lake Charles area. Lake Charles has all these plants, and plant money is good money. So i not saying other states don't have that, but I'm saying like you got guys that go work, and they're making six figures a year. Working hourly, like cutting checks, you know, working their ass off. And they want to go duck hunting. So, yeah, $8,000 blind, all
0: right, I got that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's nothing. I'll work a few more hours overtime this yeah. month, you know?
1: Yeah, I'll budget that in. Or you get two buddies, and that's four grand a pop. We got a blind for four people. We can't even bring a buddy every day. That, our, our blind, like I said, I don't even want to get started on that because our blind situation, man, it's so expensive here.
0: <laughs> Is that mainly like uh, pits and fields, or is it like uh, pits. pits? Both,
1: both. Man, we got we got some pits and fields that are uh, are outrageous. God, God, if one pit actually shoots a bunch of ducks the next year, you can bet it's going to go up. Not specs, yeah. Some people chase spec blinds, but if that, if a duck blind, an actual pit kills a bunch of ducks, you can bet next year somebody's coming for it, and then. You started seeing it in the marshes. Some of these marshes are just fantastic because they're going there to rooster in the day, which is the perfect setup, right? They come out the field and they're coming to these marshes at 7, 8, 9 o'clock where you can actually shoot them. They're not leaving the field. They're coming to you. Some of these marshes are going for a ridiculous amount of money. Like, I'm talking money that you have. It's unreal,
0: so like it's the yearly just, average income in the United States of America, you know, fifty thousand, forty five thousand.
1: Yeah, six hundred, six hundred acres, four pits, fifty grand. Like, come on.
0: Jeez. <laughs>
1: yeah, like, all right, I'm out. Like, I, I, I guide and I have a guide service and I lease blinds and I tell people I'm not paying ten grand for a blind. I just can't. It's not profitable.
0: Well, yeah, and it's I'm, it's I, you're just going out there for the hunt at that point.
1: And the only reason I guide now is just to pay pits and make a little extra change. I'm not trying to make a living on it. I, I enjoy it. I wanna guide, but I also want to hunt my buddies, you know, like so when you get to that ten grand and them twelve this twelve thousand five hundred dollar pits here. Hell, we were talking the other day, they got a pit going for over twenty grand in the Thornwell area. Like, come on, man. Twenty yeah.
0: thousand dollars. That's crazy. And that's what you have is a bunch of people with money. not enough space not enough area it's all congested so it just becomes a freaking bidding war
1: it does it does and and i give it to the farmers because rice is tough and crawfish is getting worse and so they're relying on this to pay land leases and land leases for farmers are going up because the landowners realize that duck hunting rights are ridiculous right
0: yeah, no, I don't blame them at all, man. It's no, shit. I'm always that it. guy. Make money if there's money to be made.
1: <laughs> That's what I say. Like, I get it. Everybody gets mad, including me sometimes. And I got to step back and just say, look, I mean, these guys are trying to make a living just like me, man. I, I guess can't say nothing good for them, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, with, with Ducks going down, uh, up here in Missouri, man, we're seeing more and more speckle bellies pass through, and you know, you always get that first push in November, at least up here. Uh, are you guys seeing your spec numbers go up?
1: No, absolutely not.
0: Damn, absolutely man, that's not good at all.
1: No, it, it's it's uh, it's getting tough, and, it, and you're starting to see the guys that are not killing Ducks, so... They start trying to kill specs, which it's, it's a tougher game. You know, it's just going to step up and go buy much decoys and kill spec I get it, but you still got – it's a new generation. I mean, I helped build with and custom calls and build duck calls and spec calls, but I'm telling you right now, now there's more people than ever and like, these kids. And I'm literally going to call them kids because they're 17, 18 years old. And they start blowing a call, and they're, they're a sponge, and they, they haven't learned the wrong way. They, they always learn the right way, and they're good, and they're great. And don't get me wrong, they don't know how to just kill speckle baleys yet, but they're good enough so they can go out there and do some damage, man, and they look, good power more power to them. But you, you see it, it happen a lot more. So you start to see pressure increase, and I don't know. I always tell my wife, I really hope I got a two-year-old, and... I got to feel that when the time he becomes 15, 16, I don't think he's going to get to experience it. But that's fine. Uh, we still fish here. We'll probably travel at the end of the day.
0: <laughs> Wait, I ain't worried. That's what uh, Kent was telling me. He's like, for the first time in my whole hunting life, I I traveled out of state and got a lease. He's like, I've never done that before. And I. he's like, that's no. the only thing I can do anymore.
1: No. No. Uh, I've never got a lease out of state either. I'm going a year. I battle it out and duke it with the best of them and fight for it. But look, I like competition. It's fun for me, but there's going to be a point in time where there's going to be nothing to fight for, right? There ain't going to be no birds to go grind out a, a, a five-man, 10 specs. There ain't going to be that. There ain't going to be enough birds to go grind out a, a three-man, 6 specs. So, you're seeing it now. It's, it's going to happen one day. But... Yeah.
0: I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I feel you, man. I've uh, I've mentioned it in podcasts before. We had... I live in the part of Missouri where ducks don't fly to. <laughs> it mm-hmm. is in between flyways. It's the far west yeah. side. And, uh, uh, man, our duck numbers have pushed really, really hard out of the area, out, out to the west, and uh, more of them are going to the Mississippi and more of them are going out to Kansas, Oklahoma. So we went you know we primarily duck hunted forever and for the last five years we do a lot of uh honker hunting uh local you know resident geese and stuff like that and we won't even run a duck spread in fields and stuff we'll just we'll shoot them when they come in with the you know to the honker decoys but we sold not you know we keep floaters everybody you got to have floaters for you know the good days but uh we get rid of the duck field spreads and we run freaking honker setups and it's like oh sweet we shot a couple of bonus ducks but we focus mainly on geese man it's just that adaptation of hey there's there's none of these birds here anymore so what else can we figure out to do you know
1: um absolutely uh and you'll see it you're gonna see it here i think you're i think you still see like seven year ups and downs i think don't get me wrong in four or five years we're going to have a couple up years because of weather but I just don't think it's going to be long lived I, but I don't know you never know Things can. everything can change from here to there so we, we're trying to predict it but in reality I want to say I forget what years it was my dad used to always talk about it back in the day like, they had some times where there was no ducks like, no ducks showed up to Louisiana and I'm like and there was years after that where there was so many ducks and great duck hunting that it's hard to believe
0: you know I've heard uh, I've heard that um, magnetic north is actually drifting Ooh. it's drifting yeah. to uh, towards Russia and it's been going pretty you've been up to Alaska there's a I've heard there's an airport up there that used to be based off of the coordinates you know and it actually that was the name of the the airport and it's actually drifted North, so where, you know, say it was 69 or whatever, now it's 72 because of that drift. Well, if north is going further towards Russia, then theoretically, you know, Louisiana's temperature is starting to drift into Arkansas. Yeah, so it's – everything is rising and the United States is gradually getting warmer where parts of Canada – or I guess parts of Russia are now becoming colder is my theory. I haven't heard anybody any duck biologist or anything like that, you know, uh, yeah, talk about like, that. I type saw of what you're talking about though.
1: I, yeah. I remember seeing that. And, and you're right. I mean it's the all weather is all considered scientific, so yeah. If the North Pole goes north, then yeah, it's gonna just means we're getting closer to the
0: equator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, I'm just the dumb guy from Missouri. I don't I I don't know shit. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just it, makes sense in my brain.
1: It's been hot, uh, and thankfully, normally when it gets really hot, we actually have a lot of storms, and, and we've been really lucky. We haven't had that many storms come to Louisiana since when I was in school, it was bad. When I was in high school, man, we had one hit my freshman year and my senior year, Jeez. like big ones. It was Ike, it was Rita, than Ike, and they were both big, like good, like flooded everything where I lived, people lost all their houses. Three years later people rebuild, people remodel, boom, same thing. Water was like two foot less, still had three, four foot of water until we was houses like go.
0: Man, I, I uh I moved I got stationed down in Pascagoula in Mississippi mm-hmm. in 08. and that was yep. three years after Katrina and, and you, I would, came. you would still walk in Biloxi and find pieces of shingles, broken glass, mm-hmm. just it it the you you know you'd be driving you'd see all this new construction and then you go to an area that hadn't been touched yet and it was just like holy crap because i was in missouri i didn't you know i knew it was bad and we have tornadoes up here like nobody's business and you'll see the aftermath of a tornado and then i got down there and i was like dude this is this is a hundred tornadoes all lined up at once running at the same time it was it was pretty yeah. staggering man
1: I will say this, though, after those two storms, our duck hunting got really good. I don't know if it flushed our marsh system and put some of the, I don't know what it. I don't know what it did. I just know that after those two storms, we had some really good duck season that followed after.
0: How long And, it- I
1: mean, hot. Like, one year, we called it the year of the grays. I'll never forget. Uh, I had a marsh right here south of my house. I live in New Louisiana. And uh, we had a private marsh that we leased and paid your money for it. And the second year we were in it, we called it the year of the grays. It was a drought. It was hot. Uh, there wasn't that many cold fronts. But once it, it was a drought, it was a really bad drought. They couldn't even pump water in some of their ice fields on the south side because they were scared of putting salinity in the field. And uh, we had so many gray ducks in the marsh. It was unreal. Like gadwalls. Like, Y'all call them gadwalls. We call them gray ducks. You could, you could shoot every morning, 24 30 four and five man limits within 45 minutes to an hour every morning man (laughs) it was they didn't stop they just never stopped coming
0: (laughs) yeah dude i just love a freaking gray dog hunt there isn't no circling no working it's they're freaking coming you know
1: yeah we we would we were literally shooting we started off doing four and five man limits and out of a five man blind And we started packing like eight people a morning just because we knew we can kill eight men every day. (laughs) (laughs) We we were packing two boats. Like, we normally run one boat, jump the levee, go in the marsh. Like, we were running two boats, jumping the levee, making two trips. Like, it it was just unreal. We had green-wing teal and just thousands and thousands of gray ducks. And uh, it was hot that year. It wasn't because of the weather, trust me. But it was also a drought. Every duck was in the marsh, but they didn't leave. They stayed all year. So... I don't know if our, and every year you listen to these, uh, reports and they say our marshes are great, but I just don't know if our marshes are the same they used to be. I don't think they are. And it is where it is. is. It's going to cycle, right? Sooner or
0: later. Right. And it's, it's almost kind of a benefit of if you're dry and you have water on your place, you know, you got the birds all congregated instead of being like we, you know, we have the same early teal season in September as you guys do. And, uh, You know everybody wants water we you want water but the more water we freaking have the more places they have to go you'll have a dozen on this pond a dozen on that pond you know and the years that we don't have a crazy amount of water it's like hey they're all congregated up man that's when it gets good
1: yeah but when they congregate up like that it's like here you don't want it to rain after they get here you really want everything to be you want a good rain before they get here you want everything naturally flooded. You want naturally flooded cow pastures. You want natural flooding. Because when they get here, they, they stay. Because what happens with teal is, and you, you can ask a lot of people about teal, on, they, they'll leave. Oh, they'll yeah. get in I've the area.
0: Leave on freaking, I've seen them fly south on freaking south wind days. Oh, yeah. They're like are finicky you get, is all hell. You, <laughs>
1: three years ago, we had them about a thousands on a farm. Opening morning, we shot like 21 limits in an hour and a half, two hours. And everybody I talked to shot limits. Like, everybody was just like, man, they were everywhere. We banged them. But they were here for like a week or ten days before that. And uh, that morning, there was no wind. Not a north wind, not a south wind, no wind. And we shot those birds. And I'm telling you, the next day it was a ghost town. We had a little ground fog. I'm pretty sure by tuesday we called everybody and we're like where they're at and everybody was like they're gone they left and like it was real like it was it was so real because you didn't believe it but it was real like they got up and just there was thousands everywhere every form had two or three thousand and just poof they went to mexico <laughs> that's <where> I'm <laughs> Like they got they got shot and they said you know what like but that year was dry we had nobody had nobody had that much water so everywhere there was water you killed as birds so imagine the water was put there by the farmer so everywhere they had water got hunted that day they
0: left (laughs) just the way that we do it in september if we had freaking teal we're hunting the next day because they're going to be gone in two days
1: oh yeah and here man here well, me and a bunch of guys talk about teal season here and why it went downhill. Because remember when they went from four birds to six birds here, y'all got a teal. Your know, teal season didn't start till like not too long ago.
0: Um, it's been going since at least twelve or thirteen. I I lived down there, yeah, up until uh, two thousand eleven. So I can't speak for any earlier than that.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure from what I understood when we got when we went to six birds. I think a lot more states got a teal season. Because not nobody not, not everybody had an early till season. So a lot of water didn't get pumped. A lot of water wasn't held for these birds. So these birds came straight here and just stayed here, right? And they staged up and then went south. Now you're starting to see birds taking their time getting down here, and they're, they're filling up on the way down. So they, they're not tired when they get here. They, they've kind of been stopping and total jumping all the way down. It's different, it's different birds now because our till seasons are nowhere near like it used to be and i'm not i'm not i wasn't a big rice rice hunter rice field hunter all my life and the stories in here are just there's no way we're talking people going to shoot when it was four person you'd go kill a 50 man limit in 30 minutes
0: <laughs> that's freaking insane uh yeah. <laughs> one of my buddies they uh they were out in kansas a couple years ago and uh they had 18 guys out at um, freaking Great, Brent, Great Bend. What the hell is that refuge right there? I always forget oh. it. Um, it's, hold on. I got a map up. I'll, I can pull it up real quick. Great Bend, you've got... Come on, load up. Really, you're going to show me the pools and label the pools, but not name the freaking whatever the oh. hell that refuge is right there. It's huge and uh they went out there it's where mingo hunts all the time and um they shot a freaking 18 man limited teal <laughs> in like 20 minutes and the pictures from it were just ridiculous
1: oh yeah there's a guy service down here uh he's pretty big in gator right now and uh he'll he'll go and shoot 20 30 man limit open day some most years i think last year was the exception we had the full moon but most years, yeah, he'll go and shoot three, four hundred, three
0: hundred open day. Jesus, dude, that's insane. yeah.
1: He, he, he's got, he's got a lot of property and a lot of good property. You know? Most dude. of the time, like like I said, we normally kill him, man, but sometimes it's, it's not as easy as it used to be. Trust me.
0: Oh yeah, man. It uh, Teal are just they're just so finicky. Do you guys? You said you were shooting green wing during the season. We'll get green wing. Oh. Um, yeah,
1: we'll get we'll get green ring in the marshes come in November, December, January. Some years they show up earlier than others. Most years they don't show up till January.
0: Yeah, man, they're hardy. They it's the same as uh yeah. as gadwall for us. They uh we'll see if if you out hunting, you know where I'm at. It's a ninety nine percent chance you're shooting mallards. Like that's just the way that it goes. But uh, yeah. in January, we'll start getting really good pushes of gadwall just because they're, they're a hardy duck. And you'll start seeing freaking teal on the coldest days. And uh, But I, I've never, the only time I'm seeing a full plumage blue wing teal is in May when they're coming back through at turkey season.
1: Yeah, so let me ask you this. You don't think them gray ducks coming from the south?
0: That's possible, too.
1: We got, we got great ducks every year, don't matter if it's hot, cold, don't matter what happens. They'll show up in October every year. It don't matter. And they'll go in the marshes, and they'll pile up in the marshes, and then come open in their duck season, they're completely gone. And I'm, I am 100% positive they go to Mexico, because it don't take long, around November, here comes two or three people posting on those sites, Mexico duck hunts, and they got like 40 great ducks killed with two people. Oh my Dang. God,
0: <laughs> dude, it's insane. We uh, th- we don't even get. I mean, like, it, that's probably our second duck, and then green wings probably our third. Uh, you know, puddlers, anyways, and then we'll get the mm-hmm. occasional widgeon, the occasional pintail. But they're they're on the same schedule as the Specs for us. They pass through in November, and most of the time they're out of there, or they're further west.
1: Yeah. And we, our pintails are kind of the same way. Like, you'll get a bunch of big big wads of pintail early. And then come January, I got a few. I think you are coming back because come January, there's a bunch of them. Like, we'll get pintail for teal season, no doubt. Like, you'll be teal hunting and you'll get pintail to come by or grade up. Most of the time, it's pintail. It's kind of funny. And I, I've been to Canada hunting September 1st full of pintail. And then on September 15th, I got guys in Louisiana telling me to have pintail. Pass I'm like, during tail season. So I, I think it's, I really do think there's two sets of ducks. Like there's ducks that migrate on photo period no matter what the hell happens. And then you got a set, then you got these other ducks that migrate solely on weather and food source. I really do think that.
0: Uh, I fully agree with you. And I've heard that mentioned so many times. It's, you know, that how long it stays daylight when it starts getting dark, all that photo period yeah. stuff. I think, I think you're 100% right on it.
1: Yeah, like I really do think there's two sets of ducks. There's, there's, there's gray ducks that come through here in October. By the time opening dead duck season comes around, no cold front comes through, everybody thinks, "Oh man, they got to get even more ducks here." And you show up opening dead duck season, and they're completely gone. And I really think those birds pick up and cut across. And same thing with speckle bellies. We'll get speckle bellies early. Those first ones that show up, everybody gets so excited to shoot them, and everybody's so happy, and they got specks and. They're here for early season and somebody got them and then you realize you go hunt them and they're some of the hardest birds to hunt because they're some of the oldest birds. I think the oldest birds always come first. So it's like a terrible, terrible feeling. You go out there, you think you're about to smoke them. It's opening day, nobody shot at them yet. And you go to hunt them, and I think it's
0: literally a bunch of ten year old birds, and they none of them look at you. Ugh. And they're such they're they're so similar to me. Like pintails, I if we're working groups of mallards and we have a good good flight day of mallards, the last thing that I want to see roll through is a group of pintails because I know they're about to screw every. They're either going to lead them right in or they're going to screw everything up. And I feel like speckle bellies are so freaking finicky that uh yeah. it's the same way man
1: so we call it the pintail shuffle they give you about five wraps of 50 yards tired and they just turn straight on one wrap and just fly straight away from me and you say what happened no, that was the pintail shuffle <laughs>
0: dude, they, <laughs> they're, they're make,
1: frustrating you, you spun in a circle five times and then they left
0: <laughs> dude we've had groups of hundreds of mallards just freaking swirling and here come yeah. a group of a freaking dozen pintails just fly right through the middle of the tornado, do the shuffle, and then yeah. take the no whole pintail. group with them, you know?
1: The whole pintail shuffle. Everybody laughs. Because at this point, some of us laugh and these rice fields. They really do it to us a lot. So, I hate to say it, but as a customer standpoint, they always want to kill a Drake. What ends up happening is on about that fourth and fifth pass, I'll tell them, they ain't coming on the first and second pass. Get ready, boys. We'll have to shoot at them. Everybody starts laughing. I'm like, wow. I'm like... And there's always, at first, if you hunt with a buddy, it always happens. Wait, 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 wait. Let him keep coming. Let him keep coming. Yep. I'm, I'm like, they're about, to, they're about to just bug out. And they're like, no way. And sure enough, they'll just turn straight and take off. So I'm like, <laughs> tell you, they left.
0: <laughs> you're like, yeah. here they are at 70 yards. All right, next swing, they're at 40. All right, one more. Next swing, they're at 55. <laughs> next swing, they're at 80.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, it's hilarious, man. And like, but. We talk about spec hunting. That, that's probably the funniest thing is early season. Everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to get the first crack at them. And you shooting at birds that have been coming here for 15 years. <laughs> they ain't stupid.
0: Jesus. So, <laughs> go ahead, bud.
1: Go ahead. No, you it, are, always, it, it always ends up working out where like you start off opening day, unless you're really on them, which last year we were. We killed like 24 in two days. Uh, unless you're really on them, you kill them. And then, like, come around Thanksgiving, you'll start getting those like those good pushes of birds that are just they're not the older birds. Some of them are younger. They they start kind of venturing out and spreading out, and you don't start really killing them again till November twentieth. You'll kill some, and some people get on them and kill a limit, but from whatever our season opens like November second or third, from there to the twentieth of November, it's it's the most frustrating thing ever.
0: And see, it's so annoying for us with the freaking special bellies is we don't have an early season for them. So, mm-hmm. we have a, a residential honker season in October. And we will yes. see so many specks hanging out in October. Or like, just hang out, just just be around on November 1st, 2nd, whatever day, you know, we open up for, go- uh, for white front, or uh, for mm-hmm. honkers. Yeah, yeah, all, honkers. all of them, for all geese. And, uh... And every time they're already gone, you know, it's they they migrate a month earlier for us, and it's like, come on, man, you're letting us shoot honkers, let us get at these specs, man, while they're actually here.
1: And, and it's funny because a spec's not a duck, and I tell people they're not ducks, they really are smart. And uh, that first morning when the war starts going off, and the youth duck hunters are shooting ducks, and people are shooting at speckle bellies. It don't take them long to get shell shocked, where they start realizing that the war has started, and they just become, uh-uh, "I'm not doing nothing today until after lunch." <laughs> and, it, and it happens, man. They're, they're really a smart bird, and I tell people, like, you almost got to treat them like human beings. If you're not, if you you don't feel like, if if somebody walks down the levee and they can't find your blind and you're hidden, if you can spot the blind from down the levee, understand that goose can probably figure it out.
0: Unless the blind is just, the, my favorite thing is, uh, you know, you'll have a, a really good hide, you'll be brushed in, have everything perfect on the layouts, and you're like, ah, oh, hell, they're picking us apart. And then the days where it's just the most stupid, obvious setup, a freaking box in the field, or even these A-frames, man, I, we've gone to A-frames a lot, and it's like, I cannot believe we're killing them at this big box in the middle of the field on the same places that we can't kill them in layouts. It, it's crazy.
1: So here, we tried something similar about three years ago, and the only way you can make it work was using green, green, green trees or something, some kind of sort. And I'm talking like a big four-foot-tall cedar pile of green cedar that you stabbed in the mud in the middle of a yellow field. And I don't know why, but for some reason, green don't affect them. Once that green starts turning kind of brown or you try to go put brown grass four foot, five foot tall above the other stuff, that don't work here. They figure that out so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's a whole nother bird. I tell people, like, I don't try to offend nobody when it comes to speckland, but I tell them, you need to come down here and hunt them. (laughs) <laughs> like, why? I was like, because you'll come get your feelings hurt. It won't take you long.
0: <laughs> they'll make you feel real dumb, real
1: quick. Oh, it will hurt your feelings in a heartbeat. These damn things down here are tough. And I go to Arkansas, and I realized that I hunted Arkansas last year and had a blast and shot a bunch of birds. And there's still a lot of smart birds, but there's so many, you can kind of just pick through them until you get your birds, you know?
0: Right. It's just not the same thing.
1: Yeah, here ain't, no, you don't have that many opportunities. I'll tell people, like, we'll kind of shoot decent. You know, we'll shoot four or five volleys pretty decent and have seven specs and need ten. And I'll tell them, we're probably not going to get ten. Wow, because I've been getting four or five volleys a day. (laughs) Like, that's all I've been getting.
0: Yeah, be happy with the seven, buddy, because there's a lot of people going home with less.
1: (laughs) Oh, you don't don't tell them to be happy. It's just like because they'll start questioning, you think we'll get ten? And hey, we're gonna try but i'll be honest like we've been getting about four or five hours let's hope we get number six you know and and sometimes you'll you'll think you have it you need three four come in everybody stands up two fall and like oh well we tried
0: <laughs> <laughs> right we all went for the lead bird apparently
1: <laughs> yeah i will say that most people who call and never been on a guided spec hunt start off by saying it's only two specs do you shoot snow geese are we gonna kill some ducks all those questions come out, and I'm like, look, guys, you want to come shoot specs, This is what I charge. Show up. I'm pretty sure you'll think different when it's all said and done if we have a good hunt. And pretty much, we'll go hunt that morning. You end up with your 10 specs, You work your ass off for it. You got to shoot extras because they don't die when you shoot them. And then they walk off with 10 specs and look at you and say, that was awesome. I want to come back and they don't even care about that snow goose or that duck
0: anymore (laughs) it's it's funny how quick it changes when it's successful man
1: well and and they realize it's a growling man it's a it's a fun growling like you get to watch it uh, you watch it unfold and it's not fast it's a slow process with these birds how they come in and they work and it's different that's why i love it man i'm not lying to you i tell you i'm addicted to it i love shooting circle bullies and i was not a spread guy at one point I could blow a speck call my entire life well, since I was a teenager, but uh, I was always a duck hunter. And recently, what, five years ago, I started getting back. I got it when I was coming out of high school and then I went back into Marsh because I had a really good duck race. And then five years ago, I got back in it and you can't get me away from it for nothing. Even if ducks come back, I ain't going.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about this. uh about some competition, calling, brother.
1: Oh, well, Oh, this year was good. Well, we got to do one contest in Winnie. Uh, I won both the spec and the Duck. Took home three grand.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't beat that, buddy.
1: No. Uh, so, competition call, man. Uh, to be honest, it's been a fun ride. Uh, lately, I've been having some good breaks, and I've been doing really well. Uh, it, I've been actually contest calling since I was 19, now. Most people don't think that. They're like, oh, man, Hayden, I kind of really came back on the scene four years ago. I took it serious again. And in the last three years, I've had a lot of success, but I've been doing this for a while. I think in 2019, I won the World Team Spec. And in 2010, I think I placed top five in the World Spec and in the World Team Spec also. And then uh, I had some issues with somebody, and I, I ended up quitting. I met my wife, and I literally quit contest calling from... I was 20 all the way till 25. So it was, my contest years have kind of been up and down. And uh, I started off really strong. And I guess you could say I was talented at it. I was still young and dumb and didn't understand the point of practice. I didn't understand that. Like I I didn't understand the the putting in the work and, and reaping what you sow. I really didn't. I'll be honest with you. When I came back at 25, 24, all these younger people showed up and they were way better than me. And it wasn't just one or two of them; it was you know six or seven. And I literally was like, uh-uh. "Can't have this! Can't have all the youngsters beating me out." And I got my I got my butt kicked for about two years, and then finally, I, uh, I took the calling series, the duck calling series, and, and I really started traveling doing that. And well. Domingo, and Cody Johnson, and Seth Fields, and I mean, without Bill Daniels, none of this would ever have been possible, that's the that's whole reason I came back, because of Bill, Bill's, Bill's my life support when it comes to calling contests, everybody in the calling world says, where's your dad at, so yeah, <laughs> Bill's like my call dad, uh, my contest dad, so without Bill, it's what never would have happened, I wouldn't have came back, but yeah, Cody, and Seth Fields, and Cody, and, us, and Domingo, really. It's kind of been my little ride-or-die career lately, man. Uh, they're good people, and uh Everybody knows Seth's really talented. Uh, I kind of started helping him with the spec call, and I'll be dead honest. And then the guy has taught me more about duck hauling than I ever thought I could be taught. So uh, Seth Shields is, is, is really talented, and, and he's a great guy, man. I enjoyed it. I mean, like me and Domingo and Cody now are really close, and we spend a lot of ideas off each other, and, Without those guys, i laugh last because without those guys they wouldn't they wouldn't be a Hayden Richard like it is
0: right now. Oh <laughs> <laughs> is that At all. Uh, are those relationships something that you find it's it's kept you, you know, more into it, more motivated this you know, because I think a lot of guys don't understand from the guys that aren't involved with, you know, contests and stuff like that, they just don't understand how much practice and time and dedication it takes yes. and traveling all over the country to compete against the best learn from the best you know it, it's it's not a light task and uh you know the number one response you just hear is i've never heard a bird sound like that and it's like that's yeah. that's not the point you know <laughs> you you don't know what's going into this thing
1: to, to answer your question does relationships like that keep it going absolutely i hate losing <laughs> <laughs> i hate I hate being beat. I hate losing to my friends. So, yes, absolutely. These guys are, uh, it's not just another guy that I, I don't know. It's become personal because they really are friends, and we all help each other. But it's it's one of them, even though there's money involved, there's a lot involved when you win. At the end of the day, I can't tell you how many contests that, well, the, the outcome is nowhere near what we thought it would be, but the first thing we do is go check the scorecard. and goes, ha, I beat you. Even though we didn't even come close to winning. Like, and, you know, we were just more concerned about beating each other. Because that's what was more important at some point, you know. And, yes, having, that, having those people like Seth and Domingo and, and guys that were talented made me realize that you can't do it by just picking up a call the night before, four nights before, a week before. It's not going to happen you ever get to know Seth like I did and I, I talk to Seth a lot and we don't talk as much as we used to he's kind of, he's got his thing going I got a new kid, a new baby with a two year old and when I first got going we talked a lot and one thing I noticed, I called him man and he always said a duck call in his head, always <laughs> he blew a duck call non-stop and I used to be that kid and I used to be, I, I, I'm not calling him a kid but when I was 19 I did that a lot but I didn't really practice so what Seth kind of taught me was that your practice is just as important as your contest. And when I say that, practice in a routine, like learning how to practice. And uh, so that, that was my recent years. So, but like uh, another guy, and I don't even know how I kind of dismissed him, but me and Brooke, me and Brooke Richard, we've outdoors. He's kind of the one that got me to start contest call. I met him, I guided him on a spec hunt one day. And that's how we became friends, and and we're really close now. But I'm saying, like, Brooke was kind of the one that got me started, and Brooke really did kind of show me how, or explained and sometimes pointed it, because Brooke has a really good work ethic, and he does. Like, when he was really trying to win these contests, they do practice correctly. He had it planned out, and and he, he did it, and he's the one that kind of helped me with that part. But when it came to, like I said, when it came to the talented part and learning the new things and the really, the really hard things, when you got friends like Domingo and Seth, it's it's hard to suck because you're going to get beat. <laughs> <laughs> and you're always going to feel like not, the, you're always going to feel like the little punk in the group, right? You know, you don't ever want to be the, the low man on the totem, t- totem pole, especially in a group of friends like that. So yeah, Domingo and, and Seth and, and Cody and having those guys around, and then people like Bill who support me 100%, and anything I need, he helps. It's hard. You can't do it without those guys, man. I -hmm. tell people all the time, like, you can't. You can't find the motivation by yourself. Because when you surround yourself with good people, you're going to get better. You're going to start winning. And these guys were nobody can deny it, Seth Fields and Domingo have recently Seth feels on an amazing run, and and not saying he's not on a run now, he's still good. But and then Domingo right now seems like one of the best meat callers on the ride. you know, like he's been winning a lot of meat calling contests. Actually, I hope he listens to this, and I'm gonna tell him he's a lot of second places, he's gonna love that. (laughs) Uh, Give him a five for everything, but no, like when it comes to them two guys, man, they're they're rolling. I mean, besides people like Trevor, I mean, me and Trevor talk on the on the road and we, we know each other but we don't talk on the phone or nothing so but yeah dude uh, those those guys and that support system i'm i try to tell people without that it ain't gonna happen it's hard to happen without it
0: so it's that old adage of uh you know iron sharpens iron you know if if you surround yourself Absolutely. with the best man it's kind of like playing football in a small town of a a 12-man team, you know, where you have 12 or 13 people, or you go play in, you know, the SEC country in the South where you're playing against, you know, 10 D1 future athletes in high school, you know, you're going to – competition breeds, you know, better better results. And I think that being around the best and uh, working with the best, it only pushes you, you know. If you guys are constantly trying to beat each other and one-up each other, that means every step – you're getting better. Even if you're jumping over each other back and forth, you're going to eventually get to the top. The cream rises, you know?
1: Absolutely. And it's, it's fun because I I have friends here, but those guys are just different breed for me because I can call those guys and talk to those guys about something that a lot of people around here don't understand. You know, even some of my good friends around here, I got some guys that are really interested. I got a guy that guides for me and he's become a really good friend of mine. And, uh, he's he's getting into the spec calling and all that and he's trying to listen but talking to him about duck calling is, is no comparison to talking to set fields about duck calling or domingo sanchez about duck calling you know just like me and seth have uh seth has also picked up a spec call and become damn good on it uh even beating me out in some major contests and we kind of went back and forth for a while we still go back and forth uh but he's damn good we, we and him can actually sit on the phone and discuss spec routines and how we're going to build a routine to go to these contests and try to win because we both want to see each other at the top right like we both want to see one and two because we, we both the same call we both we both for Bill Daniels but at the same time we're still competitors but we still love each other you know we're still friends
0: yeah it's that uh that friendly, friendly rivalry and it's Absolutely. like uh, you know, shit, I just f- totally forgot what I was going to say. Um, man. Oh, uh, what I was going to say is you guys that compete in multiple categories. You know, you, you mentioned yeah. Seth and guys like Trevor and yourself and even Hayden. And guys that are at the top of the game and Duck, Speck, Goose. You know, they're not just focusing on that one one type of calling they're doing everything yeah. it's it's really cool man
1: yeah i'm, I'm very blessed with the, having the, i'm very lucky i should say and not just lucky i mean i work for it but um yeah i do really well in duck calling i do really well in meat duck calling and i've been doing really well in the open open duck calling the main street yeah it's it's been good but goes back to People like Seth Fields when he does the same thing. He's really good at sweat calling, really good at me calling, and really good at open street calling, you know, and you kind of piggyback off each other a lot. And man, uh, I'll tell you this funny story. We talked about cream rising to the top and playing football in small towns. First time I went to Presley's Outdoors, I thought I was ready. I was excited, man. I, me and Bill and Christian Morgan traveled all the way up there. We drove up there. It was long as hell, 14-hour yeah. drive. Bad idea, by the way. We flew the next year.
0: Uh,
1: it was like three or four years ago. This is kind of when I was coming up. I was starting to do better. Uh, spec calling was good. I was good on spec calling. Uh, my meat duck calling was, was a lot better. And by no means was I a national contender in any of these big contests, but I thought I was good. I thought I was doing okay. And I was practicing. I really was. I thought I was practicing. I, I, I stepped it up since then. Uh, I went to Presley's. I blew it like, what? five contests i blew in three regionals a meat duck a team meat a spec and i didn't get out the first round in any of them
0: (laughs) that was a gut check i bet
1: just just one of the most horrible weekends i've ever had i couldn't get myself together by no means that i deserve to be out the first round but i mean like i just couldn't get it together i was a nervous wreck I'm a very talkative guy. We drove all the way home, 14 hours. I didn't say a word to Bill Daniels. And Bill looked at me when he got home. He said, I guess you go home and practice because I had state coming up. Mm. I ended up I ended up winning Louisiana State. And I got so obsessed with the mainstream calling after that contest and getting beaten everyone. And I was so upset that I ended up going to Worlds and placing 12th. That's the first time I ever qualified. I go and place, I'd make third round.
0: <laughs> Dude, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, and since then, I, I've never missed third round. I've been three years, i made third round every time. And I, I've always had some little mistake that's plagued me every three years. it wouldn't have been for the small mistakes, I mean, you can go back and look. Every time I come out second round, I was not like top eight or top five or something. You know, I just always end up making a mistake, got nervous, did something I was supposed to. And, but I still make that round every year. So I've been really blessed with that. Not that all because I got my ass beat. I drove all the way to I drove all the way to Illinois, my, paid my ranchers fee, and came home with just donkey stomped. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: was, was terrible. It was terrible. Honestly. I was talking to the hunter about it the other day, man, and just the the amount of pressure that once you get to the end of the contest, even out in the crowd, you can just you can just feel it, man. Guys get it running a routine they have a hiccup or you know a bobble or a reed stick or something it's just like you just as as somebody watching it because honestly you know i'm watching it and i just want a good competition man i want it to be close i don't want to see a Mm -hmm. guy win by eight points throughout the contest i want it to be last minute you don't know who's gonna freaking win uh you know call-offs going over and over and over can get old but having the top five guys in the world in a call-off like that's it's exciting and uh you know, but you can just feel the pressure in the uh, in the stands, man.
1: Yeah, it, and it took a lot. It, it takes a lot to understand that pressure, and it takes a lot for you to overcome it. it. It takes a while before you start telling yourself you belong here, even when you win, even if you win a contest, even if you, um, even if you start placing it, and you know you made a mistake it takes a lot. And that's why I try to tell people contest calling is, is physically blowing your duck or goose call. But if you're not mentally prepared, if you're not telling yourself that you belong here, you're going to be okay. Do what you did at home and understand when you say, do what you've been doing at home, knowing that you've been practicing for the last three, four weeks, two hours a night, five nights a week. That's, That's about what I put in before a contest. I practice about. I'll start about three or four weeks before, and I'm putting in two hours a night, five nights a week. The week before the contest, I'm probably putting in four hours a day. I'll build my call two hours in the morning, two hours at night.
0: Damn, dude. I, I was because, I was talking to Hunter about that pressure, and he was like, "You know, I used to I used to feel pressure in in the third round." He's like, "I feel it a lot in the first round," but. I used to feel it in the third round, and he's like, well, heck, I'm in the third round. They already heard me twice. Yeah. They want to hear yeah. me again. And he's like, that. Yes. he's like, some guys that help, some guys that hurts, and he's like, uh, you know, that some of that pressure comes off just knowing, hey, I'm good enough. Like, I, they already want me to be here, and uh, sure. they want to hear me again. So it Yeah, and
1: that, and that, like for me, I got three different categories, but, yeah, you were right. Like, I love I love having multiple contests a day because after the first time you get up there and do it, you're like, if you do well in the first contest or you saw where you could have did well, you instantly become relieved. You're like, you know what? I belong here. I'm okay. I can get up there and do it. Some people have trouble overcoming that fear, and I think it boils down to practice because at the end of the day, if you've been practicing and you get up there and forget what you're doing, your muscle memory should take over and just complete the
0: process. Uh you... there's a lot of times... Go ahead, keep uh, going, buddy. There's a lot of times when you walk off stage and you're like, what the hell did I just
1: do? Did I hit everything I was supposed to? <laughs> like, you don't even... Like, yeah, like, there's, there's... Doing so many contests a year, it still happens to me two or three times. I walk on stage and do something, and I look around, and, and somebody in the corner of the tent catches my eye. I literally start thinking of, like, a whole thing about that person. Like, I end up looking up, and the light comes on. I'm where I need to be, and I quack it out and call, and I walk off the stage, and I'm like, Ian, did I hit everything? <laughs> like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you were totally in another lane. Like, that's when practice comes into play. Like, if you're going to get nervous, if you
0: get sidetracked, you got to have the practice to back it up. Do you feel like stage time? You know, there's, like, obviously, the it's kind of like that. You have to do something 10,000 times to master it. Do you feel like aside, you know, practice obviously, but do you feel like going to multiple competitions? Like you said, you're blowing a couple of different genres and competitions, meet and stuff like that. Just getting up on stage and getting the reps even at contests because you can practice all you want, but if it's not the same as being on the stage and having everybody looking at you and having no. the judges. And if you go to, you know, Seth goes to every damn contest all over the United States. Yeah. <laughs> and- it's like do you feel like that makes a difference going to the more you go to, I, the more comfortable you feel?
1: Absolutely it does. But you have to understand there's contests where you only get one a day, like in Memphis. I went to Memphis this year and uh I was I was tied. I was leading the whole contest after the second round. And don't get me wrong, I didn't get I didn't get to get on stage before. I kind of got a little nervous first round. But you have to understand I've been to so many contests so far at that point in time in the year, and I've done so well that why, why would I, why would I, I would say question myself, why would I think different? Why should I just go, And I told, I always tell Bill, I'm just going to go up there and do what I do because, yeah, after you done been to five, six, seven, eight contest that year, you kind of get in a rhythm and you learn. You also learn how to tune everything out. You start learning that there's, everybody copes differently, but there's, there's ways you start. Like I tell people, don't forget the mental part of a contest. Start thinking about how you're going to approach yourself. Be mentally prepared for a contest. And that's probably my biggest thing I do. I mentally rep- prepare for every contest. Listen to certain music, pay attention to certain things, not talking about certain topics behind the bullpen, try not to think about it, don't try to listen to the guys, uh, you know, try to do different things to where when, when they when it's time for you to go up almost like, oh damn, I gotta go up. You kinda <laughs> like it that way. Yeah, because it's like oh damn, I gotta go up. Like you ain't been sitting there the whole time just, man, I wonder what's gonna happen. I wonder if I'm gonna make a mistake. And some people are different. Some people are really quiet. They sit in the corner, they wanna listen to everybody and uh, I'm not that guy. I don't like I don't like listening and, and, and it's it's a part of my deal. Like I've learned in my life that if I sit down and pay attention to the contest and, and just overthink it, I'm probably gonna overblow it.
0: I was, Relax. I was listening to, uh, man, I can't remember, a UFC fighter, and he was talking on a, a, a podcast, and he, uh, I can't remember if it was Kamaru Usman, I don't know, you know, one of the better UFC fighters, what? and he was talking about the changes that he made in training and doing that mental aspect of it, and he was talking about how he, uh, once a week, he would have a mock fight. And he would have he'd go back and have be sitting in like a, you know, a warm up room, getting his knuckles tapes, playing the same music as he always plays, going through his drills, come out to his music, have his sparring partner come out to his opponent's music. And he's like, by the time I step out in the cage, he's like, I've I've already lived this moment out 10 times. He's like, it just feels normal because I've gone through so many mock exercises in my brain. This is just he's like it. It just feels normal because I've been doing it every week. Yeah,
1: that's that's that's. What I, I don't do that, but I'm saying like that's kind of how I feel. Like it, it's a mental part.
0: Yeah, get there's the mental a live, reps in.
1: Yeah, there's a live spec contest going on right now on a competition. I don't know if you paid attention to that. Yeah, yeah i
0: looking at that.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm a judging it. Like I made a post earlier and uh, about the round two, and I told people think about what you're doing because I think a lot of people miss that. They they get a routine. And they think that the physical part of blowing the call is going to save them, instead of legitimately building a routine mentally in your head that flows, that fits, that that will catch attention. It's almost like a, uh, it's like a good part. It's like the good beginning of a resume, right? Like it, it has to all blend in and. That's probably one of the most important things, and I learned that from speaking with Seth and Domingo. Like these guys are always mentally prepared to beat you. They're trying not only on stage, but before they go up there to prepare themselves by building the best routine, by doing the best this, and and, tech, and breaking it down so technical that when they get up there, they're they they already got a step above you. They're playing a better, it's it's like they say, it's like getting up there and uh, playing music. You got the sheet in front of you and you play the music. When they get up there and they got a better song to start, well, hold up, we might be in a bind here. <laughs> like, like, they already got the one up. They got a better song than I got, and I got the jump song because I didn't think about it. I, I learned that a couple years ago, and I try to tell these guys at contest call, and some of these guys just coming up. You got to put the mental effort into it.
0: Well, and that's one of the things that that Hunter I, I just talked to him two days ago, so it's all fresh. Yeah. He was telling me, uh, he's like, I put a lot of focus in my transitions. He's yes. like keeping it he's like, I've put so much in attention to detail in the transitions. He's like, I don't want it to be choppy. He's like, I want it to be one smooth continuation of you know the routine instead of looking like all right i hit part a now i'm at part b and you know kind of like when you're say you have a script in front of you and you're reading it you're like i read this sentence now i'm on to this sentence you know and and just having that smoothness and there's just some guys that you hear that and the the polished guys like you're talking about you you just hear it it just sounds different
1: so that's how recently I built a really good I won press the Press Expect contest like two years ago and there wasn't that many guys there it wasn't like it was one of my biggest accomplishments but I walked in that stage with one of the better routines I've ever built and I ended up running that routine there I used that routine in Arkansas last year I didn't use it at Worlds last year which cost me I, I made a mistake I, I, I thought different, I thought I was going to do something different I ended up didn't do that world spec. It's all spec calling I'm talking about. Right. Um, but me and Seth have kind of been on the same routine basis when it comes to spec calling, and I actually built that routine by listening to Canada Goose callers because those guys get ridiculous into it. They're counting breaths. They're going from this to this. They're 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 watching where they take breaths. They're taking short breaths here, long breaths here like you said their transitions are so awesome and the flow of the routine is so well thought out so well built it's always going somewhere that's where i got my spec routine from that's how i learned to build one and right now i got one that's been working for me and the winning is a different spec routine and i've won winning two the last two years in a row which is great and i kind of have that and kind of incorporated in that one too it's It's always going somewhere, up and down, right? Like if you wrote it out on a sheet of paper, it would just show like a flow and where it's heading. And and when, like I said, those Canada guys have that stuff figured out so well, and they're so good at it, man, it's it's impressive. It's impressive.
0: And that's the type of stuff that people who are who don't know anything about the competition calling or they just, you know, they're walking by Rogers or whatever and they're listening to a contest. They just. You just don't get how technical and how much thought goes into everything. They're like, "Well, hell, I could grab my my double nasty, you know, not the whatever any call no, I and uh, pick it up and, and run that too." And it's like you just don't no, you like get how technical it is, you know?
1: Yeah, and because what happens is is you have a guy that has a really good solid routine, and you don't sound that flashy. But it's so smooth. And it checks all the boxes. It doesn't repeat itself. It just it rolls through the whole routine just beautifully. And they always win. And you're always looking back, saying, "Man, how does that guy always win?" Those people asking that question don't understand the mental aspect yet. And when you do figure it out, and you look up and say, "That's why that guy's winning," it's almost like the biggest light bulb shines on you. You're like. Oh my God, like listen to how he transitions, listen to what he's doing. Man, he really did take this a whole nother level. Trying not even think of that. And it's true. Like it's a whole nother level. And like when you start thinking that way and having that idea, boom, success comes your way. And it's because, like I said, that guy's walking on stage with just a better song to start than you are. Not only is he good, he just got a better song to start. Like He's got the bigger gun, you know. Like he's, he's probably going to win if he executes correctly.
0: Well, and it's stuff that you can hear. You know, if the first goose contest, I really, really paid attention to. I had been to Rogers a couple years before that. You know, go up there, grab decoys, stop by the calling competition, say hi to people. You know, but yeah. the first goose competition that I just really, really paid attention to, uh, Hunter went f- went first. Not necessarily first in the round, but I remember Hunter going, then I remember Trevor going when he was right in the heat of it, and uh, and then Kyle Jones came up like four or five guys later, and I think Kyle finished like fourth or fifth. I don't remember. I don't want to say what he did, but you know he didn't win it. But he stepped on stage, and I was like, this guy's different, man. I really, I really am digging. Like it's not there yet. But it was like, he's he's different. He's doing something. Because Trevor and Hunter both were so polished. It was just, yes. it was sure. perfect. The finesse, everything was good about it. But then Kyle came out and I was like, dude, I really like, I came up, I went up and talked to him afterwards or he came up and introduced himself to me. But uh, we talked about it and I was like, dude, you're. You're really good, like, and obviously he's won two world championships. Yeah, and
1: look at him, and look at him now. He's running away with it, and he's, he's skating by. I mean, so, he's because he's polished now. Yeah,
0: he's polished, and it's just different. It, it's yeah, so good. He's good. He's really good, and that's the
1: thing. Mentally, I know, Kyle. I talked to I talked to him that day with some of these spread contests. And mentally, the guy's in. It's he's mentally there now, you know, and that's kind of. I'm pretty sure I don't mean him never talks about this part, but I bet you if you ask him, how do you feel mentally about where you're at now and the Canada goose calling when you started winning compared to five years ago, and he'll probably tell you the same thing. Now it's way more technical mentally. Like, you get my point?
0: Right.
1: It's, it's just, it's a whole new world. I mean, when you figure that out, you become even more obsessed with it. Like, it just, it consumes your whole day every day. <laughs> you're riding your truck and you're like, man, I I could do this different. You start listening like you start recording everything you do all you do is listen to your recordings you're like man I, I bet y'all can make this flow a little better so now, now I gotta get home because now I gotta go my call right like <laughs> it's it's fun to be on that slope it's fun to be rolling up that hill you know like cutting the rug and making it work like it's fun man and I've been, been thankful lately because it's kind of been working out for me and I've been having fun with it I've really been having fun with it I enjoy it, man. I enjoy contest calling. I can't wait. I think uh, Mississippi's having three regionals, or a state and two regionals. I'll probably go... I'll, I'll, if they let me judge, I will judge that one, because I really want to blow in the regionals before the Rogers open. I'll probably do the Rogers. I'll, I'll probably... No matter what, I need to go see Kelly. I and Kelly are really close. And Dan Ganaway, he used to work there. We're close. He's from Peoria. I'm going to probably go see them. So... I'm going to try not to miss too many. I don't care if we have a world duck or not. I'm going to try to get qualified, and I ain't going to miss too many. Man. I'm going to enjoy it.
0: What's it been like not having it? I mean, it's kind of a lull, you know, up to now. It really fires off, you know, at Rodgers, and that's when it's just nonstop every weekend. What's it? What's it been like? Is it just kind of business as usual, not going to all the competitions? I think there's, what, three or four that have been canceled?
1: You know, a lot of it's been canceled. no, uh, what was wrong, it was terrible because winning was over. I won winning. I was happy. I got to go. Um, COVID starts. I get laid off. I'm like, oh, well. Then all these contests are getting canceled. And like, I start hearing about it. As much as I was not ready to go practice my duck call, I didn't care about calling the moment. I was trying to go fishing. I instantly became depressed. Like, wait, hold up. I don't know care right now, but My content's got to come back. Like it's gonna be like it's gonna happen. Like instantly, I was depressed, and then recently, they literally was like, "Hey, we're gonna have this and this." And I'm like, "Man, good! I I get to get back in it." And unfortunately, I really haven't got back in it. I haven't grown my calls yet lately. (laughs) But but normally, I start a month before is when I really get back into it. I, I normally give myself a month before all these these big chain of them start. Some people might think that's crazy, but that's me. I, I give myself about a month. And I, at first, I kind of cheat two, two three days a week. Second week, I'll, I'll really put the pencil, pen, the paper and say, okay, five days a week, two hours a day. And then the third week, I'll probably slip in six, seven days a week. And then before I leave, you normally know, we leave on Friday. I won't practice on Thursday. I hate doing. it. Oh, I'll practice a on Thursday. I won't practice on the Friday. But that that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll, I'll probably blow calls for four hours a day, every morning, every night, just because I know like I need it.
0: Trying to get There's the no last reps in.
1: There's no replacement for it. None. There's no replacement for practice. I tell people all the time, like you can tell who's practicing and who hasn't. Except for Trevor. Trevor just always shows up. Everybody says Trevor always says he don't practice, but everybody says he practices. I don't know. I just know when I talk to Trevor, he's like, I didn't break his, and he always kind of shows up and really kicks ass. I'm just like, whatever.
0: <laughs> that guy, <laughs> if I will say one thing from interactions with him, he is honest to a default from what I – or honest to a fault from my experience with him. It usually gets him in more trouble being honest and no filter, but if he says sure. something, I generally take it
1: Trevor on Facebook, I don't, I don't talk to Trevor. I don't really like, don't care. I'm like, whatever. Everybody gets gets in it with him and wants to answer and argue with him. And I'm just like, I don't care. It's Trevor on Facebook. Trevor in real life, honestly, every time I've seen Trevor, Trevor's been really nice to me. He's been really honest. He's helped me when I've asked for help. He's blown some duck calls that me and Bill has made. He's talked good about him. He's actually said to do this, do that. Once again, I can never talk bad about Trevor because every time I see him in person. I mean, the dude's not bad. Like, we went to Memphis. We went bowling together after. and He's a normal guy. Now, sometimes he gets on Facebook and everybody gets mad at him. Like I tell people, it's his life. I mean, let him be. I don't care, really.
0: (laughs) He does it for entertainment. Trevor's awesome, man. I've had a lot of conversations. He absolutely loves entertainment. (laughs) Yes, man. And he and I will get in sports debates. Like, I've seen him with other <gasps> other calling debates, and you know how they're three hundred comments long. And me and him yeah. have gotten in sports debates that have gone eighty-five to a hundred. And uh, uh, Jeff Stanfield, he runs Big Honker podcast. Yeah. He oh, said yeah, it, yeah. He said it best. He's like, Trevor will argue a side of an argument he doesn't give a shit about just to argue it. <laughs> I and mean, like, like I said, I, I know a lot
1: of these guys like. And there's different, and you know it. There's different crews. There, there's, uh, there's like the little Missouri, Kansas crew that them boys are all close. Uh, the Minnesota, you know, what I'm talking about I think the the Bass Brothers. They're like that's their crew, and you know, and you got like the Trevor and I, don't really, I don't laugh because I'm not in any other crews. The only thing I got is I got Domingo, Cody, and Seth. That's kind of my little duck calling crew. I mean. We're kind of friends, right? And I know Seth and Trevor used to be really close. I don't know if they still are. I think they still talk a lot. But I just think it's kind of funny because, like I said, every time I've talked to Trevor, Trevor's just Trevor, right? He's not a bad guy in person to me. He never did me wrong, so I can't talk about him. He's a damn good duck caller, now.
0: Hell yeah, dude. He's uh, he's uh another one like Seth, man. Just picks up anything, yeah. and he's like, well, hell, I'll do it. I don't care if I look stupid. Well, he does. He does care. If he looks stupid, he wants to. Be, he's just a competitive dude, just like all the. You, to be at the level that you guys are at, you have to be an ultra competitor. And I've Absolutely. said it times before. Trevor plays the heel, the bad guy. I think he, I, he's the Conor McGregor of the calling world. I think he really, really enjoys it and gets off on stirring up crap sometimes. And I think he does it as almost like. A mental a mental game. You know, you have yeah. I, I compared uh Logan Hancock to Peyton Man. Yeah. Just yeah. quiet, comes out, puts down a flawless performance, and is a freaking winner. Trevor is the conor McGregor. He's gonna go out there and he's gonna win. But he's gonna you're gonna love him or hate him. And uh oh, yeah. I, I, it's the people that don't understand him that don't like him. And I was like, you just have to understand it's a game. He's having fun doing it, man, and he's as uh, nice
1: as something fun. else. No, and speaking about ultra competitive, uh, I'm very, I'm that guy, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I I always bass fished all my life, and I've read, I've saltwater fished a lot, and I've kind of gotten back into bass fishing. I bought a bass boat last year, and I've been getting my ass donkey stomped by these damn locals in a place called Henderson, Louisiana. And Dudes are for real, bro. I can't I can't cut a check or do anything in them tournaments to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be and I'll be back over there next Thursday fishing the afternoon tournament again because I just uh, I hate losing but
0: I gotta lose to win. That's, that's right. I'm like, what? Oh yeah, definitely. You got you gotta be out there, man. And that's just part you of do. living in Louisiana and having all that great outdoors, man.
1: Yeah. Well same thing with duck calling, like just like with me in the fishing, you're gonna lose. You're going to lose it first. You're going to get your ass whipped and you're going to you're gonna think you should have won some and you didn't. And then there's going to be times where you're going to get some scores that you thought you did well and you're going to walk out the back and look at that screen and say, what the hell? And you have to understand, like, until you get the whole package, the physicalness, the mentalness, until you surround yourself with people that are good, that want to help you, like Bill and your friends, until you get that, it's hard. It's hard to consistently win and be successful. Like, like, like I said, the the Bash Bros, or whatever you want to call them, the Nickums, the Dan Getz, the, the Michael Steinmeier, all them guys, super talented, super good. Mike Benjamin, I mean, come on, Sean Patrick, Sean, I love, love Sean. Sean's a great guy, and the Nickums. Like as much as me and uh, Corey go back and forth, and uh, I don't know how like how healthy our relationship is, but he's helped me a lot too. But those guys, they're all friends, and there's a reason why. Because they help each other and they they strive with beating each other. And those guys are successful. They have a crew.
0: Iron sharpens iron, brother.
1: It's true, man. It's so true. Like look around and look at the contest world. With some of these guys, like not just guys that blow in one one con- like one category. Like I don't I don't know. Like some of these guys are really good in Main Street. They just blow Main Street, and they're good at it trust me they're three-time world champion logan hancock me and logan talked about what talks about it before he, he he always says like eh, i kind of want to blow me calling," and he's just really good at main street uh, and that's that he's good you can't deny him but you look back at all these little groups who do multiple contests and you know they're they all feed off each other man they're good and that's kind of how i really do think that's kind of what me, Cody, Domingo, and like I said, Cody Johnson in Oklahoma, Domingo's in Kansas and Seth's in Tennessee. We're a bunch of misfits, if you ask me, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you gotta surround yourself with good people and good team players and you, you gotta have a support system. I mean, Domingo builds his own calls, Cody blows for Iceland, uh, uh, Seth blows with Stump, he's always with Stump, and I'm I'm always with Bill. Bill's Legitimately, anything I've ever asked for in the duck call world, there was no questions asked. All right, let's do it. If it's going to win a contest and and succeed for you, then we're going to do it. If you don't have that, t- that system, man. It, it's hard, dude. So for these guys that are coming up and wanting to do it, find you some buddies. Don't don't be afraid to get out there and try to make some friends. And so I, even though, like I said, even though ones from Kansas, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma, and Tennessee just. Stay in touch with them, man, and, and understand that that support system is what you need in these contests In any any sport, man, any sport.
0: I think that's a that's a perfect way to end it, brother. Uh, yeah, man. For, I hope, hope, I hope that's I hope people listen to that, and I hope that's
1: what they get out of it. I mean, because the sport's kind of dying, and uh, we need more people in it. We need more friends in it. I mean, it's true.
0: Yeah, I agree, man, and it's guys like yourself and uh, you know the guys that are help putting on contests and introducing guys to calling that are uh, that are really bringing it back. But I I appreciate you giving me some time tonight, brother. I uh no, I really no. enjoyed it, man. No, that's awesome. We talked
1: about about everything. Apparently,
0: that's the best <laughs> part about this stuff, man. That's why I love the <laughs> podcast format. You just go wherever it goes.
1: Hey, if you ever want to do another one? Let me know. Do we do one during spec seasons? We can talk about just spec hunting.
0: Absolutely, brother. I agree.
1: (laughs) All right, Bob. Well, everybody have a great night, and you. I hope everything's good with you in Missouri, and everything works out. If you ever need anything, let me know, man.
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. And if you're ever up in this neck of the woods and you wanna you wanna shoot residents, (laughs) give me a holler. (laughs) All right, Bob. All right, take it easy, buddy. Later. Thanks. All right, guys. Hayden Richard, beast of a competition caller, hunter an avid bass fisherman it sounds like uh hope you guys enjoyed it it's uh it's been a lot of fun i've had a lot of guys tell me i need to get hayden on here so uh i was glad that we did he's a he's a very interesting guy and he's just living a living a good life down there hope you guys enjoy it share like do all the normal stuff um join the join the close group uh btbn podcast and uh Start giving me some responses on what the heck you guys want to do with uh with this duck call. We're uh, we're gonna give it away. Um, yeah, have a good night.